Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Christy. I'm Michael. We're Terror and Tacos, Woo. and we're back this week, and we're doing a thing that we've been promising that we were going to do for a while, Yeah. and that is what? We're going to talk about 90s horror. 90s horror. Uh, uh, the, the greatest decade? The greatest decade, maybe? Like, the 90s are very important to Michael and myself. Yes. Um... Why is why are the '90s important to you? Mike? I mean, I I think it for me specifically. I mean, I started high school in 1990 and I graduated college in 1998. I mean, these th- that decade was huge. Yeah. You know, um, I I don't know if there is a more, you know, obviously like when I hit my late 20s or 30s, all that. But like, I mean, high school, especially popular culture wise, high school and college, there's no... Those are the years. That's it, you know? Like, those are the years that you are finding yourself. Mm -hmm. Those are the years that are, you know... It's like when I discovered music. Right. And all Other substances. Other substances, absolutely. Uh, (laughs) And the 90s were huge for you as well. Yeah, they were huge for me. I mean, I graduated from high school in 87, so I'm kind of like on this hump, right? Like, I'm... Half of my formative years were 80s, and then the other half was were the 90s. 90s. But I spent the later part of the 90s already having children. Yeah. So there is a huge chunk of the 90s as I was going back uh, this week and doing research and kind of trying to figure out what I was going to want it to talk about, where I was like, oh, I missed that. I missed that. Right. How did I miss that? And, like, and I realized I was raising babies. I was having babies. I was I was having two babies. There were these two tiny humans. Right. Um, the one thing that the one thing that the nineties and having tiny humans did afford <laughs> me uh, in the in the nineties specifically was that I got to watch the rise of Joss Whedon. Oh right. You know, because yeah. Buffy kind of took care of my horror, horror needs. Yeah. Horror needs. And, and, you know, my and love of Buffy will go on forever. As as it should. Uh-huh. And I, I, it's true. Like, there was, I mean, there is a, a sort of distinct moment in pop culture, in not just in horror movies, but on TV with Buffy. And then you had sort of, like, the second generation of, like, teen soaps, you know? Because, like, we had 90210, obviously, right. that was, like, late 80s that led into the 90s. But right. then all of a sudden you had, like, the Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek. Party of Five. Party of Five. My So-Called Life. You also had... In in the in the tradition of Buffy, you had Angel, Angel, you know, and which is kind, it is kind of like a, the precursor to Twilight. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, as far as like ro- vampire romance, sexy vampire romance. Right, yeah, right. And I was always a Spike girl. I, as far as Buffy and Angel, went. I agree. I I was I am a huge fan of Spike. Me too. Um, he was always my favorite of the vampire, way more than Angel. Oh, sorry, Angel. I mean, I, I liked Angel in the show Angel because it was. Private investigator right. Angel, and you know my love of yes. that sort of thing. But Angel on Buffy is sort of a brooding. Nah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, when Buffy ended up with Spike, I was like, yes, yes. that's uh, the guy I would have gone for. Before we get to our movies, right. should we talk about tacos? Because after all, yes, this is terrible tacos. Um, I don't want to say we were lazy today. I will say we were busy. We were very busy. Yeah, today. we were very busy, and like this is a late get together for us. Uh-huh. Uh, an evening recording. Uh, so we just, I grabbed Torchies, which I know we have been to before. I will say this, I had queso. It was on point today. Oh, man. The queso at Torchies is uh, beyond compare, yeah. in my opinion. I I, th- I think that the secret 
to the Torchy's queso is the dollop of guacamole. I agree. In the in center it. and the little sour cream. And the little sour cream. And it's, 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 oh, and it's, it's got a little it's kick so to it. It's so good. It's so good. And also, this could be related because, you know, I mean, I don't know exactly when Torchy's started, but... It's got a 90s vibe. It's got a 90s vibe <laughs> because yeah. it, it has that... It has that Austin feeling of when Austin was really weird. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and it did. Originally, it was like, you know, just a trailer down there before it took over the world. Um, Yeah. yeah. You asked me, you texted me something today before right now. You asked me if, if, you know, what are things about the 90s that, that are... I don't know, formative that are super influential I, things about the 90s that we remember. And one thing in particular that you mentioned was the fall of the Berlin Wall yeah, and but, communism. And com- so, like, you know, I was thinking about it. And obviously part of my love for the 90s is, is the age that I was. I, I get that. Uh, I was my, you know, teens and my early to mid-20s. And especially in college when you sort of have all of the freedom and none of the responsibility right. of a real adult. But also I think there is... and. Maybe for for the young people, I know we always say that. <laughs> and also for the older people. Mm-hmm. There was something different about it. There really was. The Berlin Wall fell in 89. Yeah. And for people our age, mm-hmm. we had spent our entire childhood being told, essentially, we're going to all die in World War Three. Right. The Soviets are, were, this right. is how it's going to happen. Right. The big fear for us was y- you would go to bed at night wondering when the missile when Yeah, exactly. And like so much of like the like, movies of our of our youth youth or when we were younger, like we had the Red Dawn. Red Dawn. We had the propaganda that Russians would eat your children and all of that. Yeah. So when the Berlin Wall fell and then in the early 90s, a few years later, the Soviet Union sort of collapsed, it was... Like, it, there was a different feeling. Like, right. oh, maybe we're not all going to die in World War Three right. tomorrow. And, th- and I feel also that we had, like, a certain... We took a certain onus in that or whatever, uh-huh. whether th- it's true or not. Sure. But, you know, we are... I was there when... When I was 13 years old, when M- when MTV came on the air, uh-huh. so my entire high school, middle school, high school was was MTV, right. and MTV was there when the Berlin Wall yeah. came down. You know, Kurt Loder would come that, on and tell you, and and that's who like Kurt Loder told me when the Berlin Wall fell. Kurt Loder told me when Kurt Cobain I died. I knew you were going to say that. Um, so true. And like. So yeah, there is something. If we are, I guess, they, we, if we are the MTV, which we are, we, we are, are the MTV, MTV generation, generation. And so you felt like, and you had just said, like when they showed the Footage. Berlin Wall, because we were watching it on MTV, we saw young people in Germany, like people that was the age. focus. Yeah. And so it it felt like um, I read a quote from. Uh, a, a journalist, an Ethiopian journalist, Ethiopian and American, I don't know, and I apologize, I don't have his name. And he just said, I distinctly remember the vivacious optimism that, uh, that, shit, the vivacious optimism that inundated the United States when the Soviet Union imploded in the early 90s. It was not glee generated by the doom of an enemy, but thrill generated by the real possibilities that the future held for freedom. Yeah. Sorry, I was did not read that well, but um, no, there was like this moment, and we sort of, un- tragically, it is bookended like the we had this brief moment when 
okay, World War III is not going to happen between right. America and the Soviet Union. And for a, a little over a decade, just a barely over a decade, uh-huh. and then 9-11 happened. Yeah. And so that was done. And so for this brief little moment in the 90s, things felt different. Right. And there was kind of like a, a renaissance of all kinds of things. Yeah. You know, um the nineties gave us Kurt Cobain. Yeah. Us Nirvana. I mean it changed, I mean, yeah, we had that moment in music where right. for us it was like we have this is this is ours. Uh-huh. You know? Exactly. This is in no way connected to the the thing that came before. And of course it is. It all I mean It all is Cobain loved Buddy Holly. I mean like but right. for us this this was something new. It was different. Right. And it was ours. The other thing that happened was that the the we got, as far as horror movies go we did have a resurgence of of uh, a rebirth or or a reimagining or whatever you want to call it of the teen slasher yeah and 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 it is absolutely a rebirth and it is so true to the 90s uh-huh. and i think because of maybe this idea that we thought we weren't all going to die i don't know um we got to get angrier about other things yeah and so we got angry about like 80s excess and we got angry that the baby boomers sold out the vision they created in the 60s right to get rich not all of you i know some of you are great all of you hi mom like my mom's listening i would say fuck three times and my mother would be like michael that would be it (laughs) but you know so we got to sort of turn our angst towards that and like Mm -hmm. 90s angst which leads to sort of like 90s irony and this idea that we are absolutely aware of everything so we're going to comment and almost mock everything right and that creates this very new form of of slasher movie and horror movie and that's so specific to its time and all of that leads us to where we are now which is in my opinion irony has eaten itself yes yes we have it's like the what is it the ouroboros the snakes don't tell it's like um, whatever we can get that to it, we can get cool. to that later but I feel like yeah we've reached a point in in this irony thing that where it's, it's, it's it's no longer ironic it's no longer yeah it's, it's like kind of like are you do I hate this that? thing yeah, or am I, I pretending to I hate don't I don't even know I don't know what they're doing yeah um, yeah we'll talk about that in a little bit um, so, so what we're gonna do is we're each going to we're gonna do like a little top five yeah we both share the top two of course but we each have brought three of our, three own, of our own to favorite the favorite 90s movies. And some of these might Harmons. be controversial. They might be. They might be. There's great debates about like, some of them. I like controversy. Yeah. So, so why don't you start us off? Okay, what, what's, cool. What's your first for one? For my first one, uh, I, and I'm just kind of going in chronological order for my three. Uh-huh. So my first one is uh, 1992's Candyman. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if underrated is the right word to use because mm-hmm. I feel like people... Do respect Candyman uh-huh. and know it. I still think it is better than even people who give it. A lot of people who give it credit, get, like I think it's even better than that. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know Candyman, uh, you should. It's uh, was written by not directed, but written by Clive Barker based on his own short story um, called The Forbidden. And Candyman, uh, it takes place in Chicago. Virginia Madsen plays a grad student mm-hmm. who is married to um, a professor. Right. And uh, she is doing her thesis or her doctoral work. I can't remember. Um, 
even though I just rewatched it, uh, on Urban Legends, which is like, you know, a great place to start. Right. And she discovers this urban legend that is, she lives in Chicago, and that it is it is a Chicago urban legend. And it's the urban legend of Candyman, who has a hook for a hand, and if you look in the mirror, sort of like Bloody Mary, you can summon him. Right. And she does, and Candyman shows up. Shit. And Candyman is famously played by Tony Todd. Which I always thought was so interesting. I I, I love Tony Todd. I love that guy. I do. Um, he would eventually like be sort of the voice of death in Final Destination and stuff. But I think Candyman is what made Tony Todd yeah. famous. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout the course of, of the movie, Candyman is, you find out, was a, a, a black man who was in love with a white woman and it was reciprocated. Right. He was part of an interracial relationship in a time when that was not okay. Right. And that he was horrifically tortured and butchered and killed. And uh-huh. like beat he was dipped in honey and, oh, damn. and they sick bees on him. And like so there's a lot of bee imagery. And you sort of through the course of the movie the, it, we go back and forth between her, like, very sequestered, upper-middle-class, collegiate, academic world and um, a place in Chicago that no longer exists called Cabrini-Green, which when I lived there was one of the largest projects right. in, in America, not uh-huh. just in Chicago. They got rid of the green. I don't know what happened to all those people, but they got rid of the green. And so it, it actually deals somewhat with this difference in class Gentrification. Gentrification and things like that. And Candyman, while terrifying and has a hook for a hand, and not like he's holding a hook, like has a hook in like the meat of his hand. And it's sort of a terrifying, like soul, unrestful soul. As you learn more about him, you feel like his vengeance is justified. It's righteous. Yeah. And Tony Todd is so appealing Mm-hmm. I, I just I think as a guy or as an actor mm-hmm. that you it does a really amazing job of creating empathy for its killer. Do you think that this is when that turn began? Maybe because I, we have so many movies now where we do empathize with with with, with, with the, the killer. killer and and uh, this is what I always found interesting about about Candyman and the fact that Tony Todd was the villain and. You know, before I ever saw it, I thought like, oh, that's interesting and progressive, is it? That right. they're casting an African-American villain because there's things on either side that you could say about that. But I think it's cool, you know, whatever. And then the more I learned about what the story was about, I thought, oh, this is very purposeful. Yes. This is super purposeful. Yeah. And, you know, very much social commentary on what living in a particular place uh-huh. and what your country or what your culture or what your society does to you, the monster that you become because of what has been, been done, done to you. Yeah, and this is, like, I don't know if it's the turn, but it is a major turn in mm-hmm. that way. And it also hits on things that I, I probably didn't catch when I was watching it when I was like, you know, 16 or 17 or whatever, uh, 17 when it came out, um, that... Uh, even like she rolls into Cabrini Cabrini Green mm-hmm. with like a level of authority that she thinks she's being kind, and you look at it and it's like the most arrogant shit, right? And and someone finally is like, kind of like, where do you, you get off? Where do yeah. you get out? Like, how you don't get to tell us? 
And she thinks she's doing good. Right. And it's just like, no, fuck you, lady. Go back to, you know, downtown what? or wherever. Like such a Go back sta- to the like, Gold Coast. It's a, you know? it's a real statement on the white liberal sort elitist of s- privilege savior, savior yeah. mentality at such what year is this 92 90, see man yeah i mean they were someone was already thinking about that shit yeah but and we it, haven't really started talking about those terms until until 20 now. years later yeah. or whatever and so i i i and on top of all that it's fucking creepy yeah, it's still it creepy is. it still has some great scares the guy who plays her husband is so good at playing a dick um, I'm sure he's a lovely guy in real life, but like from the get-go, you're like, I don't know what's up with him. And so there's like also sort of like relationship drama. And yeah, I mean, Tony Todd Wallace, I I mean, blessed with one of the coolest voices ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also a really talented guy. He it's is. not just that he has a badass voice or that he's mm-hmm. a good looking dude. Like he really, in some ways I, I had jotted down, like in some ways is sympathetic in the way almost that. Frankenstein's monster in Shelley's Frankenstein, not in... Oh, I think that's a great comparison. It is as well. Yeah. Um, Because you feel like he's complex and he... I don't know. He's just great. Yeah. And I... um, It's funny because I I follow him on the Twitter in real life and in real life he seems also like the nicest dude in the world, which I... He's made... Hasn't he made... He's made a really good career kind uh of like in in horror. Horror and some sci-fi and yeah, again... I wish I sounded like him. Yeah, he's very he's a very talented actor yeah. and and is I do think I don't know if, I don't want to say underrated that's not the term. It's like underrecognized. Mm-hmm. You know, he he doesn't get the credit. Yeah, and I deserves. think it gets written off as like yeah, he's he's Except got Except in horror. He's got a circles. great voice, but he's yeah. doing more than that. Yeah. Um and also I don't know. We, I guess we don't talk about it. But Virginia Madsen's really good. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't she's seen, she's one of those '90s stars. That yeah, that kind of what happened to. Happened to um, and it's it's you know Clive Barker. Uh, you can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. And so yeah, if you haven't seen Candyman, or if you have, revisit it. It has a bunch of sequels that aren't nearly as good, but the original '92 Candyman is great. And I have distinct memories of watching this with some of my best friends in high school. And mm-hmm. having just like a great time. So yeah. that's my first one. Cool. Candyman. My first one is there is a great debate about this movie. Oh, the, shit. The, I, I know what's coming. The great debate continues, but I might, you know, this movie <coughs> fits Excuse the me. rule of my rule of horror movies. Uh-huh. So I consider it a horror movie. And my first one is 1991 Silence of the Lambs. Um, and I, it has to be that. I, I, I really did. I went back and forth between I wanted whether I wanted to talk about this as one of the 90s, great 90s horror films. And I think, you know, it was 91. I was in college, so I saw it in the theater. I remember seeing it in the theater. Uh-huh. And this was me coming back, me coming back to my love of horror. You know, I went through a period of, like, all John Hughes, all teenage, sure. whatever. And I remember sitting in the theater in college, and a group of us went together. And by the time we got to the end of the movie, I my I had my knees on the seat up against my. It, it was ter. I was it terrified. Is, it is to this day one of the most terrified like experiences I've ever had in a movie theater. Yeah. And and to this day. Yeah. I, I, so for those of you that don't know, and if you don't know, I don't know what what you. Yeah, that's a tough. Yeah, it stars Jodie Foster as Clarice. And uh, Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. Uh-huh. Um, ha- uh huh. Uh, what's his name? Scott Glenn Scott is in Glenn there. Scott Glenn is in there. And Ted Levine yeah. as Buffalo Bill, Buffalo. who is one of 
Ted Levine's performance in Silence of the Lambs is one of the greatest performances, I think, I, on film. I agree, and it, it gets overlooked because of Hopkins as Lecter, I guess. Right. It, it, it's, it is tragic. It, it's to tragic. Be, to be overdramatic. And it, right. He's so... He is absolutely terrifying. He's terrifying. Whereas... Hopkins is scary, but also fun and all. Right, and part of the reason I think that Ted Levine's Buffalo Bill is super terrifying is because he's got a Ted Bundy quality to him. He's a good-looking guy. Mm -hmm. Even though Buffalo Bill is based on Ed Gein, the the real-life serial killer. Um, You know, I've watched it many, many, many times. Jonathan Demme, did he win an Oscar? They all did. They all did. Jodie Foster won an Oscar. Hannibal Lecter, well, I'm Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> Anthony Hannibal Lecter won an yeah, Oscar. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Hopkins won an, Os- an Oscar. Jonathan Demme directed it. And it won, won Best Picture. It won Best Picture, which was, I think this is part of the reason that people are like, it's not a horror movie. I agree. Because a horror movie would never win uh-huh. Best Picture. And I'm like, well, fuck you, because I, it totally it, did. I actually think that's the only reason. Right. I think because it won Best Picture and because it stars two people that we... Who are I mean God? They are both fantastic actors, mm-hmm. but we res- we we hold Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins up on sort of like a pedestal, a pedestal, and so we're like, well, it's not. So you, I, I hear people justify how it's not. I'm like, no, it's it is it a is textbook totally a fucking horror movie, textbook horror movie, um, and works as a horror. It's almost perfect on so many levels, uh-huh. and you know, we were talking about Candyman bringing to the forefront. You know, issues that we're not really, really even talking about openly until now, right? Mm-hmm. And if you watch, if you go back and watch Silence of the Lambs, and you, the cinematography is incredible. The POV of that movie is incredible. Oh, it's it's ev- every shot at the beginning of the movie is, it's all about the male gaze. Yes. It's all about how women are viewed through the male gaze, right? There's so many shots that are just kind of like full on of men checking out Clarice. Clarice, yeah. Every single man, whether they are FBI agents or whether they're killers, whoever they are. If they're in the asylum. Whether they're in the asylum. It is the story of this small woman, Uh you know, who who is trying to make it in a man's world Uh and how she moves through the world and what men want from, from her. her. And Foster is so, so good in it. Yeah. I, yeah. And it, it's it's odd that that the that you know all these men in the movie want something different from her. Mm-hmm. And the one that she ends up making the real kind of soul to soul connection with in the movie is Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. And I'm not sure if that's scary or you know, and it spawned a sequel where then Hannibal Lecter and Clarice are, are kind of sort of like right and a, and a thing and Jodie Foster doesn't even play Clarice right. and Julian Moore does so like I don't I, I I kind of like to me Silence of the Lambs is enough I, I didn't have to go on and watch yeah. the other one it, it's um, um it's and it's been mimicked in so mm-hmm. many ways in different so many different movies mm-hmm. I mean the the coming to the house the sort of the the uh, dual the uh, dual thing at the climax of the movie where they're where they're closing in on Buffalo Bill yeah. and Jodie Foster Clarice thinks that she's uh-huh. just doing kind of like it's incredible the yeah. way that is shot and you don't you now of course you know but I mean it was shocking at the time it was shocking the at the time that, that and then and then the way that Hopkins and I mean it's everyone Demi doing it too but like uh-huh. the way that Lecter 
We sort of all remember his, like, quotes, you know, his, like, one-liners, like, fava beans and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And But uh, when he's in, like, when he goes into killer mode, right. it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Um, it's a brilliant movie. I, I don't know why... I, th- I mean, you're right. I think it's only people argue that it's not a horror movie because, because we are... have because we have these two stars in it uh-huh. that are yeah they're held up on a pedestal of like legitimate acting right. or whatever right and like you said a horror movie would never win best picture it right. is I would also contend and I think Silence of the Lambs is a better film but like I Seven is a horror movie oh totally and people will argue against that too and I'm like well but why because yeah. Morgan Freeman's Morgan in it Morgan Freeman's in it right that makes no sense um, if no you, if you haven't seen Silence of the Lambs I don't know watch who you that are. shit tonight I, right it's, it's not only we say this sometimes, but this I truly mean it. It is not only one of my favorite horror movies; it is one of my favorite movies ever right. made. Right, it is. It is. It's an incredible film, and it 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 almost. I mean, in in a way, brought that genre right into the forefront mm-hmm. of of it not being of of, the, of like the horror thriller, the horror or the thriller. thriller or whatever, not being something that was considered like a B movie. Yeah, but like legitimate legit yeah you know it's it's so it, and it holds up it still holds it up it totally holds up the acting is fantastic uh, and again to me the most astounding thing about the about the movie is is what it says about the male gaze yeah and what it says about how women navigate the world and having, her her portrayal of starling is Oh, it's so good. It's so it's good. It's so good. It's really, really good. So, yeah, 1991, Silence of the Lambs, Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, directed by Jonathan. Watch McDonough. it tonight. Watch it. Watch it. Um, my second one is little known, I think, probably. Uh-huh. Um, in in the States and some places, uh, I know it as Dead Alive. Mm-hmm. Um, it was released originally in New Zealand and some other spots as Brain Dead. Brain Dead. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It is directed. It was directed by a young man out of New Zealand named uh, Peter Jackson. That's right. Um, it was billed when it came out on VHS in the early 90s and 93 or whatever, 94 when it came out. Um, on VHS as the goriest film ever made. <laughs> um, I think it is actually Jackson's third full length. Um, he made a terrifying, horrifying Muppets type movie called Meet the Feebles, uh, which oh, came man. before Dead Alive. I remember Meet the Feebles. But I absolutely love Dead Alive. It is at its core a zombie movie, mm-hmm. but it owes way more to Sam Raimi oh, than yeah. than Romero. Although it references both Raimi and right. Romero liberally um it's about a dude whose mom he goes to the zoo with his mom um and he's like a grown man but he still lives with his mom he's kind of a slacker type or whatever 90s Mm, 90s and uh his mother gets bitten by some sort of monkey and then turns into a zombie (laughs) and so he locks her in the basement to try to protect her uh and she gets out and just basically starts wreaking havoc and then he has to go take on his mom um, but it has, like, it is, it's really funny in, like, a very strange, dry New Zealand kind of way. You know, I, the N- New Zealanders are really good at doing these kind of horror uh-huh. movies. There's one, there's a, a, a newish one called, I think it's Housebound. I loved Housebound. I love Housebound. And Housebound, I think, owes a little to Oh, absolutely. This. It's so funny. And and also scary and... and, and um, exactly. Dead Alive is not scary. It is gross. Yeah. Like, 
but purposefully to a level of absurdity. Yeah. I mean, like, it takes kind of what Raimi was doing in Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness and then just just blows it up. Um, And I really like it. Sometimes I think it is fun. I sound like such an old man. Sometimes (laughs) I think it's fun to go back and watch earlier works of really talented directors. Um, I think recently Peter Jackson has gone off the fucking rails, but I mean, this is... It's all that weight he lost. Yeah, and he can't think straight anymore. Right. But the dude... Look, man, I love fucking Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I I love the Frighteners. Like, I love Peter Jackson. The Frighteners was... um, I I really debated as to whether the Frighteners was going to be one of my... Mine, too. I was like, which one am I going to do? Okay, bonus. The Frighteners. The Frighteners. Go see it. Go Um, see it. His first big American movie. Yeah. So uh, it's like going back and watching Kronos, which is... Oh, my gosh, Michael. Like, (laughs) do we have the same brain? We might. Because it's like, that's another one. I was like, I may have to talk about Kronos. Kronos is Guillermo del Toro's first movie. And I got to meet him um, at a screening in Dallas like before anybody knew who he was. Like, we watched Kronos, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. And then he was there, and he must have been, I don't know, his late 20s. Did you watch it at the UA Cinema across the highway from SMU? Yes. That's where I saw it. Man. Maybe we were there on the the same same night. Um, I I was blown away by Kronos. Yes. And you you can go back now and say, like, oh... Maybe he hasn't figured everything out Mm -hmm. because he's still a really young man when he was Mm -hmm. making it. But you know, like, this guy is crazy talented. And I feel similar, different vibe. But when you watch Dead Alive or Brain Dead, depending on how you find it, you can tell Peter Jackson has it. Mm -hmm. And he co-wrote it with Fran Walsh, who is his partner in real life. And Fran Walsh and Peter Jackson co-wrote Lord of the Rings. Right. Uh, the screenplay. So, like, you see it all falling into place. It's really funny in that weird New Zealand way. I know. I don't know why how they do it, I but don't know how they, they do. do it, but, you know, what we do in the shadows is the same way. Same way. Scary. There are moments, moments that, that are scary. scary. And also hilarious. hilariously funny. Yeah. And uh, heartwarming. And heartwarming. And Dead yeah. Alive has that, too. Like, the relationship between the dude and his mom. And then it also <laughs> makes fun of rich people really well. Like, it's... I'm all for that. Yeah. And it's... I will say this. It is... An, I, it is not for everyone. Uh-huh. It lives up to its goriest movie ever made like sort of title. Tromeo level? Y- yes. Oh, yeah. wow. But I think funnier. I think it's mm-hmm. handled more effectively mm-hmm. um, in Dead Alive. It's not than the like... the trauma movies. Yeah, yeah, than the trauma movies. And it's actually like reaches a, a comical point. At right. first you're grossed out and then you just can't help but laugh at what he's doing. So <laughs> um, I saw that on a college trip. When I was looking at colleges, uh-huh. uh, so I also like it has a sort of warm. I got to stay with like two sophomores in college right. when I was a senior in high school, and uh, they showed it to me. So it like kind of still has a really nice place in my heart. Do you remember who the sophomores were? I don't remember their names, but it was at the College of Santa Fe, and then they uh-huh. took me to the one of the best parties I've ever been to in my life. So it was a and good night. Were, I'm ready for college. Yeah. and they were like, "Dude, you like horror? You got to see this." And like, I hadn't, I didn't. That was some, like, weird foreign shit, even right. though it's New Zealand. But, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't know that thing existed because I wasn't right. cool enough yet. <laughs> yeah, you were just, like, some kid from Plano. Yeah, and they're like, listen, man. And they were film students. Right. You know? Oh, so, there you go. There you go. Um, cool. So, Dead Alive, 1993, Peter Jackson, y'all. Yeah, great. Okay, my second one is, like, mid-90s. I think it's 94 or 95. I'm not sure. Cool. I tried watching it, but I, 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 I thought I had a DVD of it, and I don't. And so I went looking for it. It's not streamable. But 
it it really made an impression on me. And it is, I think it is 94, Tales from the Hood. Yeah, man. Great movie. Uh, it's not streamable. I looked for it too. Yeah. Like, what the hell? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Tales from the Hood is, uh, and like, I can't even tell you who directed it. Um, uh, I, David Allen Greer is in it. Uh-huh. That's what I do know. Um, and it's mostly, uh, yeah, it's an African-American cast, uh-huh. uh, except for Corbin Bernstein, who plays the racist. Right. Uh, so <laughs> Tales from the Hood is an anthology. Yeah. It's like four little stories. And the premise is freaking incredible. So it's these four. Do people still say the word gangbanger? Do people still use gangbanger? I don't gangbanger? know. In, in the, the 90s, 90s, we did. In the 90s, we yeah. said gangbanger. So it takes place in East L.A., and it is three... Uh, African-American gangbangers uh-huh. who uh, they, they've been involved in like some kind of shooting or whatever and they're, they're, they run away there's like a there's a, a, a weird drug deal that goes down that, that is foiled by someone and um, they're running away from this drug deal right and they come to this place this house and the person in the house lets them in and it turns out that this house is a funeral a funeral home uh-huh and the funeral director is this weird. What's his name? I can't even remember the name of the actor, but he's incredible. I love the actor. Um, he uh, he's just kind of weird and eccentric, and they really just want to get the fuck out of there. Uh-huh. And uh, he says, "No, no, you should stay. You can stay here. Let me tell. I'll tell you. This is a funeral home, and there. So there's people laid out in caskets and stuff. And he begins to tell them stories about how these people, people died. died. Yeah." And uh, the first, the first story is, um, I think it is, I think it's the David Allen Greer one. I think it's called Monster, and it's about a little boy who um, goes to school and tells that he shows up at school with, and he draws these crazy pictures, and he tells his teacher that there's a monster under his bed. Uh-huh. And then one day he shows up to school and he has actual bruises and he says there's a monster and nobody believes him because right. he draws these monsters and the teacher comes to the house to talk to the mother and it turns out that that David Allen Greer plays the boyfriend of the mother and when he gets angry it gets really ugly in the house uh-huh. and he has a tattoo on his arm that says monster right. on it um, and you may think that's simplistic but the way it's handled is so beautiful and scary and 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 then there's like a little twist even within this story because the little boy draws a picture of of the dad or, or of the boyfriend <coughs> and finds that if he crumples it he starts to crumple the picture of the monster David Allen Greer's character begins to like yeah it almost uh, has like a vo- like a voodoo doll it's effect. like a voodoo doll effect and they burn like so it's an anthology of all these little I won't tell you the twist at the end but of all these little Stories, right? Um, and to, to me, the best one in, in in the anthology is the one with Corbin Burnson, who plays this David Duke, yeah, right? politician in uh-huh. the South, who um, is running for office, and he 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 buys a plantation mm. as his home, and he plans to open it as a museum to like the Confederacy or something like yeah. that. It's something yeah, yeah. like that, and it's so offensive, and he discovers these little. Uh, dolls right that in in the house and um what happens these little dolls come to life and take revenge on him in the best way yeah. possible yeah man. um i, I yeah. this they just they just made a, a sequel mm-hmm. that's on netflix that i have not watched yet 
They mm-hmm. just made Tales from the Hood 2. So I haven't watched it. Right. Which I haven't is watched it either. also why I was so surprised um, that the first, that the one, first one wasn't streamable. Yeah. Uh, I think I think this movie is, is absolutely underrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe just underrated generally. I think the people who are into it know how... How wonderful how it is. How good it really is. Yeah. Um, I do want to watch the sequel to see if it's anything sort of on par if with it the holds original. Up. Right. Uh, but you're right. It's it's little known. You know, I have a few students. I teach high school, as you know, Michael. And yes. Podcast land. Um, and I have a few students, or I've had a few students who are also huge horror fans. And when I tell them about this movie, they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Right. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Right. Like, how do you not know Tales from the Hood? And I, I, I yeah, it's it's strange because it, it's really good. And as far as anthology movies, I think it's one of the best. One of the best. It's much better than than a lot of ones that are very popular. Right. You know? Um, right. And it is very, um, if I can say this, it's, it's a very, it's a movie that is specific to African American experience, yeah, uh, which is really wonderful, and it was that was not something that was happening a lot in horror. In horror at the time, God, it still is. I mean, I think that's why when you have a movie like Get Out, uh-huh. um, that it's. I mean, it's a great movie, but that it that it you you realize like, oh God, this still isn't really happening that much in the exactly. genre. Exactly, and at the same time, like I'm not going to pretend that I have that I understand that experience, but like. You are a Mexican American lady. I'm a white dude. Yeah, it's it, it's still it's effective. a brilliant fucking film. It like, is, and it, just, is, it, it is, doesn't matter. It is you know. terrifying. Yeah, and wh- whether whether you are familiar with the experience or not, it really is a story about how how the the you reap what you sow. Yeah. Yeah, you reap what you sow. Yeah, and I think it also hits like some social. Issues. It's a, it's just really good. I I and I don't. I thought with the sequel coming to Netflix that they would have put the original uh-huh. on Netflix. The acting, I don't know how that shit works. The but. acting is really, really wonderful. And I'll tell you, so, you know, back in the day in the 90s, I was working at a, a, a theater here in town a lot, and it's a primarily Latin American theater, and we used to do a, a, a Halloween Day of the Dead show uh-huh. every year. And after we watched that movie, um, me and some of the other people that worked at the theater came up like it was it was a direct inspiration for a, the one of the most successful Halloween shows, shows that at y'all the did. theater yeah uh, where, where it was like an anthology kind cool. of Halloween show called Night of the Chupacabra uh, nice so yeah I really really love that movie it's it's something that that I always kind of you just can't find it yeah I so yes I'm maybe I don't know it's got to the young people, they can find anything. They can find anything. Um, so let us know how. <laughs> yeah. Tales from the Hood, 1994. Um, it's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, my third movie is a 1994 movie, uh, and it is Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Oh, man. So, again, um, you know, the original Nightmare on Elm Street, which is my in my top five, or I think it was on my, when we did yeah. our top five, it has had such like an important effect on my life in general, uh, even to the point where decades later it was the first movie that my wife and I ever watched together um, <laughs> at my future in laws Oh, my house. God. I cannot imagine Aspen yeah, watching. Okay. She was freaking out. Um, yeah. So it's like it is a huge movie to me. There are many sequels to Nightmare on Elm Street. I like some of them sure. more than others, you know. Um, but Craven wasn't really involved. 
um, and actually was pretty... In the sequels, In the right? sequels. Yeah. And actually was pretty pissed off. And so he comes back in 94 and he's like, okay, I have a fucking idea. You want to do Nightmare on Elm Street again? How about this? And so Wes Craven brings Freddy Krueger into the real world. Oh. And so Heather Langenkamp, who plays Nancy, mm-hmm. and Robert England, who plays Freddy, Freddy mm-hmm. and Wes Craven, play themselves. And you see Heather Langenkamp and Robert England, or I should say a version of themselves, right. obviously. Like Heather Langenkamp and, and Robert England are really good friends. I don't know if that's true in real life. And they're doing like tours together, like cons and shit. Right. And Craven contacts them and um, he's like, I some I have started to see Freddy. And they're like, oh shit! They're Wes like, Craven's gone crazy. They're like, oh, Wes is fucking crazy. And then you like, they'll cut to like Robert England at home, and he's painting something, and he's talking to Heather Langenkamp on the phone, and he steps back, and he's painted a picture of Freddie, and it's like a much darker version of Freddie. Right, because by this time in the sequels, Freddie had kind of become like a, a comic a joke, joke, right? And, and that really bothered Craven. Sure, um, because the first Freddy was fucking terrifying. Yeah, and a child molester. Yes. Like, the like dream version of Freddy is a murderer. Right. The original Fred Krueger, which is what they call him most of the time in part one, was a child molester. Right. And I've seen an interview with Craven when he saw, like, Freddy on pajamas for children. Oh. He was just like, what is fucking happening? Yeah. And so... This is a very dark... Jesus, that happened? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So this is... I mean, like, you know, kids... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, not, I don't know if they were footies or whatever, but yeah. So Craven brings back this sort of very dark, dark, dark Freddy version of Freddy, and he starts to hunt Heather Langenkamp because he ne- he needs the power of the mo- the popularity of the movie to, like, bring him into the... birth him into the world. And so he starts to haunt, like... Craven and England and, and Langenkamp, and as they believe more and more, it starts to come into the real world. That's meta, meta. And it is, one, it is a great, I love it. I think it's a fucking awesome movie in its own right. And mm-hmm. it's about, like, the power of storytelling and the power of f- fear and family and all of that shit. But it is also so clear that Craven is laying the groundwork for what will become Scream. Yeah, man. And in my, I know we will get to it. Yeah. Spoilers, in my opinion, is the most definitive 1990s horror movie. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, and you can see it all in the works mm-hmm. in New Nightmare. And he, the callbacks he does to the original are fantastic. Um, so much of the cast comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's her dad who's also in, in Black Christmas? Uh, you uh, know, John talking. Saxon. John Saxon. He yeah. comes back, and she actually calls him for yeah. advice, but it's like career advice, right? And so it's it's great. They all do a really good play at themselves. Like they make fun of themselves, sure. especially Wes Craven, uh-huh. who plays himself as crazy, which is not the case at all. Like right. the dude was incredibly smart and all that stuff. Um, I I love it, and some of the imagery and. In the when she sort of crosses into the dream world, because um, he's starting to like attack her son's dreams. What he does sort of with images in the dream world in this one are so different than anything from the others. So it's awesome. Ninety four, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. If you haven't seen the original Nightmare on Elm Street, 
uh, it won't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, and but but if you're listening to this podcast, we keep saying it over and over again. Like I, you, you, you should really see the original Nightmare on Elm right. Street. Or you should have already Yeah, seen and even it. if you think it's like, it's slow, I don't give a shit. It's Nightmare on Elm Street. It's, it's Wes Craven. It's Come definitive. On. It's a definitive horror movie. And if, if, if you think Nightmare on Elm Street is too slow or not scary or not good... I don't think we can be friends. We can't be friends. <laughs> I don't think we can be friends. Um, What's your third one? My third one, I think, is my little-known movie, like, uh-huh. like Dead Alive. Um and it is an Australian film, um, and it is called *Ravenous*, uh-huh. starring Guy Pearce and Robert Carlyle. Yeah, and it, the the director is she's a female director. I can't remember her name. I'm so sorry. I should have done my research. I'll post all of this on on the Facebook page. And *Ravenous* actually it combines two of my favorite things, which is like a period film uh-huh. that, that is in the old west. Yes, and horror. Yeah, um, which is rare, right? It's rare. There's only one other movie that I know of that does that, and and I'm, I'm I want to save that for for another, another day. Episode. Okay, cool. Uh, but it's called if if you're interested, it's called the Burrowers. Um, but Ravenous stars Guy Pierce as a Union soldier uh-huh. who is being honored as a hero, right? Only he knows he's not a hero, right? So he was involved in this um, battle uh, uh, in the the Mexican. Um, in like some battle against Mexico where he li- he he actually like retreated he actually ran away when all of his soldiers and he was the officer in his battalion were being killed and he pretended to be dead um and he gets put in this cart with all these other dead bodies and as we see this in flashbacks but as he is as he's in this cart pretending to be dead so that he can at some point escape the blood of the other soldiers begins to drip into his mouth. Uh-huh. And and he is somehow able, we see that he's somehow able to kind of like summon the strength to crawl out from under uh, tens of yeah. bodies, right? And he saves himself and he's the last soldier standing and he takes the, the Mexican flag. And so he is... He's a hero. He's a hero. And right. they're honoring him, except that his commanding officer knows he's not a hero right so it's like we're going to honor you because we're going to save face Uh in the u.s army but as a punishment we're going to send you to this crazy outpost in the rocky mountains right in the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere which at that time still what there was there weren't a lot of people the wild west right fucking wild west and um so he gets sent to this like outpost somewhere by the rocky mountains and um it really is like it takes a little bit from like uh, the the story of the Donner yeah, the, party, uh-huh. um, and so he gets sent to this outpost, and there he meets uh, Jeffrey Jones, who's like the the captain of that outpost. It's like a ragtag. Yeah, nobody goes there. It's miserable. Like right, people. You know, it's it's out in the middle of fucking nowhere. David Arquette plays a crazy soldier. Um, and, the, you know, they're just like a ragtag group of people. And so what, he gets sent out there, and one night they they find uh, this other character, played by Robert Carlyle, who claims that he's been, you know, um, they've been attacked. His party has been attacked by India. Anyway, I'm getting into it too much. It's really, really, really good. Anyway, Robert Carlyle plays this crazy fucking cannibal. Yeah. Who has discovered that, that you, if you eat the flesh of other people that you become stronger right right 
and I just I really love this movie. The, the soundtrack is amazing. It is very gory. Ah, uh, yes. So it if, is. if it's not for everybody, right. so if, if if you if you have trouble seeing bones sticking up, yeah, there's a lot of bones, a lot of flesh being torn, a lot torn. of flesh being torn apart. Um, there's a really great shot that that some that kind of sums up the movie for me, and I have to say that the whole movie, Guy Pierce is struggling. Like he has figured out that the thing that kept him alive was the fact that he drank human blood. Right. And then he meet, and he knows it's wrong, but he meets Robert Carlyle, who is eating f- flesh, flesh, and is like, "I'm strong. I'm going to take everybody over." You right. Know, right. And. Um, there's a wonderful shot where they're both talking to each other and Robert Carlyle is talking to Guy Pierce about how in this country, in our culture, it is about who is stronger right. and who can get more and, and who can, you know, uh, beat who. And there's like a beautiful shot of an American flag at the time um, waving in the, in the background. Yeah. And it really, to me, is just like a big statement for who we are as Americans yeah. and capitalism. Yeah, and I mean, I, and it's I think it's not lost on me that it's it's made by n- not Americans. Yeah, and, it's, it's, and they somehow are able to capture who we are yeah. as Americans way better than. And I think a lot of times that's the case, especially mm-hmm. especially with like if it's an Australian film or New Zealand film, like that they're not so that they don't. They don't seem like Britain, you know, right. like they're sort of, they can almost sort of sit back, I'm not saying they're not doing things in those countries, but, and look at sort of the insanity of the like mega powers in the right. world and be like, this is actually what they're you fucking crazy. are. They're crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think Canadians are so good at making fun of us I think as well. so too. I think Australians are good at making fun of us for yeah. that reason. This is also the period in film history where a lot of Australians came in and like were taking yeah, over. Yeah, because We're playing Americans. Also, they're like... They're super talented. There's a really... T- and like... Uh, like, there's a lot of good-looking Australians. Oh, yeah, man. Guy but Pierce was men like, and Men and women, right? I had a huge crush on sure. him. Sure. Yeah. Um... Him and Russell Crowe in L.A. Confidential. Great movie. Great movie. But anyway, both Australians. Um, yeah, so Ravenous, I think it's like 1999 or something like that. Um, it is very gory. The, the the music is wonderful. There's some fantastic performances. It's just a big statement on capitalism and Americans and what we do to each other and what we did to the people who were here before us yeah and it's a cool like you don't see a lot of horror set in that era um especially that has a budget like it's not it's beautiful it doesn't look like people are uh doing civil war reenactments right no it's it's actually the cinematography is really really gorgeous and the other thing i love about it is that it is very gory it is very violent it is really you know just it's it's rough and this is direct, and it was directed by a woman. Yeah, um, which I think layered on top of the whole statement about America is is even statement know, about men. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. I haven't I haven't seen it in in a long time. The o- and and just speaking to that, the only character that does survive is the Native American woman right. in the fort. That has remained quiet the whole, the whole time. time, and she she does all the work basically, yeah. and she sees what's about to go While down. While these dudes just like have a metaphorical dick swinging contest, right? Yeah, right. It's really wonderful, ravenous. Um, so that brings us to our 
we kind of we sort of said like these are for us at least sort of the two definitive 90s movies right um the first i guess we will say and we don't is i feel like this has to be its own episode at some point as well um is the craft yeah so what does the craft mean to you why why and i absolutely agree with you this is a movie i watch because it is one of my wife's favorite films Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, we might watch it two, three times a year. I don't yeah, know. Like, it I, just so why? Sometimes I'll put it on for noise. Just for the hell of it. Yeah, we yeah. did that not long ago. Why? What about the craft? Is is so particular to that, and it is. It's so nineties. It is. It you know, it's it's so wonderful. When it came out, I was I was no longer in high school, um, but it definitely spoke to that that girl that I was in high school sure. that knew I didn't belong. Uh-huh. It is a great... It's for, again, if you haven't seen The Craft, The Craft isn't even scary. Let's not no, no, pretend. Let's it's not, not remotely it's scary. It's not remotely scary. Um, it it's is a, very witchy. It's very witchy. It is a group of teenage witches in, at a Catholic school. At a Catholic school who, who are beginning to discover... Discover that they're witches. That they're witches and, and, and who, who are beginning to discover their power. Robin Tunney, Nev Campbell, Feruza Balk, mm-hmm. Skeet Ulrich. Yeah, Christine Tyler. Christine... Uh, yeah, Taylor. Taylor, who was was married to Ben Stiller. Uh-huh. Not at that time, because um, she was like 18. Right. Uh, even the, the, the shorter dude whose name I can't remember. And oh, he is also Breckenmeyer. Been, Breckenmeyer. Breckenmeyer, thank mm-hmm. you. It is like... It is full of it's full of nineties glory, yeah. Um, and it it I mean it opens with a cover of a Smith song, like yeah, it's just man. doing everything it needs to do. Yeah, this this movie used "How Soon Is Now" before "Charm." Charm, yeah. Used Charm was like, oh now. shit, we're gonna use "How Soon Is Now." Right, and so it opens with it's 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 girl who has gone through a traumatic event. Yeah. Um, moving to a new town, uh-huh. starting school at a new Catholic school, yeah. which comes with its own um, baggage. Yeah, moving from San Francisco to L.A., to which LA, is... Which uh, is another it, thing. Right. Um, she comes to this posh... I would say it's a posh Catholic school. Yeah, um, I, yeah. everyone seems... Everyone seems... Except for Feruza Balk. Right, but that's part of it. Yeah. I mean, that's part of, of, of her issue at that school is that... She doesn't have money. She doesn't yeah. have money. Um and she, you know, is definitely fish out of water. She meets these these three girls who um, um, are different. Uh-huh. And they're kind of mean to her at the beginning. Uh-huh. But it, we have to say that these three girls, uh, Nev Campbell, Feruza Balk, and oh, I can't remember the other actress's name. Um, they are looking for a fourth. Yes. Right. Because you need you need four, four to call the corners. To call the corners. Which makes be, my wife crazy when yeah, they... Yeah, I know. She's like, not like are, none of None of, none none of, of the, 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 the witchcraft or the magic in the movie is real, but I have to say that I have to give them props for that because the, the movie makers were like, we don't want to fuck with real stuff. We don't want right. to offend anybody. We don't want to offend anyone. Also, so, yeah. yeah, so we just... We're going to make up our own We want a movie thing. to be fun, and it is. Right. But it also deals with shit. Like, you brought up something the other night. You were like, because Skeet Ulrich's a fucking dick. He's a fucking dick. And, like, what Feruza Balk does to him in that movie, she's sort of villainized for. I feel mm-hmm. like if... And you, you said this. This is your quote. If that shit came out now... Everyone would be like, right she's, on, Feruza Balk. She's the hero. Yeah. And which is so, it's so odd to me that we were still, you know, Robin Tunney is, Robin Tunney is the hero of our movie. Uh-huh. And she discovers that she's a natural witch. Yes. Right? Which is different than the other girls. It's different than the other girls. 
um, and she has this this power. She can make things happen, and she the whole movie she is obsessed with making Skeet Ulrich. Um, Ulrich, Ulrich. I don't even. Um, we we'll just call him Skeet. Skeet. He's going to um, make an appearance in both of our definitive yeah, films. It's true. So, so does Neff Campbell. That's um, right. Yeah. To to make uh to make Skeet fall in love with her. Uh-huh. Like that is her goal. The other girls have these. Uh, I mean, like pretty, like legit wishes when they kind yeah. of like Nef- call the corner. Neff Campbell's Nef a Campbell burn victim. Is a burn victim. So she wants she wants to get she wants her scars to go away. Take my scars. Take my scars. Uh, Faruza Bak wants all the power. She yeah. just she just feels like she has no power and, because she's poor and you know whatever. And, yeah, and power for her also includes money. Money. Getting rid of her shitty stepfather right, or, or right. her mom's boyfriend, her whatever mom's that boyfriend guy is. Or whatever. Yeah. So she's like, I want all of your power to <coughs> give me. me all your power. Uh-huh. And the other girl who's African American, she wants the 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 Christine Taylor Taylor mm-hmm. um, who bullies her at and school. It's fucking racist. Yeah, she's fucking racist. She she just wants that to stop. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't even ask for anything bad to happen. She's like, I just want it, want it to, to stop. stop. Robin Tunney's wish is that Skeet falls in love with yeah. her. And she, she, you know, it's bad. It's yeah. bad what happens because he becomes obsessed with, with her. her and gets rapey. Yes. You know? And because Faruza Balk is her friend, Faruza Balk decides to take revenge and... Um, and basically gets rid of Skeet yeah. for her uh-huh. and is villainized, villainized for it. For it. Yeah. Robin Tunney continues to go, I feel like he's he a really a nice, nice guy, guy. Under, yeah. underneath all that stuff. And I didn't want anything bad to happen to him. And the other day when I was watching it for our recording, reading for our recording, I was like, fuck that guy. Yeah. Faruza Balk is your friend. Yeah, dude. She's sticking up for you. Like, she's the one who stuck up for you. She's the, the- one who was like, we're going to get this motherfucker. Yeah. And basically walked into the front line. And took that shit. And yeah. took that shit. Um, um, it is... It's not. It's it is so nineties in so many ways, and the soundtrack, the, soundtrack, the fashion, the clothes. yeah, um, it's so. The one great. thing that always gets me is when <laughs> Aspen and I were joking about this. We every time we watch it, when Feruza Balk does get the money in a very dark sort oh, of Edgar Allan yeah. Poe way, they give her like it's one hundred seventy five thousand, right? Yeah. Which is great. I would love to have one hundred seventy five thousand. They act like they got $9 million. I know. They move into even, a high-rise in L.A. Even for that time, no. 175000 is not that much. No, it's like, put it away, it's going to help. Not like we bought this fucking a floor penthouse. of the penthouse in, in, in an L.A. apartment. It's, that part is always hilarious to yeah, me. Yeah, I never understood I it. I always feel like it's super rich people who are so disconnected. They're like... Eh, what does a poor person thinks a lot of money? I don't know, 175 grand. Yeah. Go with that. I think that's what it's like our president going right. like the grocery stores will work with them. <laughs> because they know them. Let's not no, let's not get off. I'm topic. going to the corner store, Martha. Um, <laughs> sorry. So uh yeah, I love we watch the craft all the time. Aspen is is obsessed with it. I'm obsessed with it. It is so 90s, Christy. The first time I saw it, I was coming down off ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like what do we do? And we're like, let's go see this fucking movie. Cause, and we sat in the theater coming down, mm-hmm. watching the craft. And it was like one of the best movie going experiences of my. And then we left afterwards and got margaritas. It was a great fucking it's day. It's a great movie. Yeah. I really, really love it. I and love there, it. there are problems with it, sure. whatever. Like, but. but and Faruza Baltz has some oh acting my choices. God, that are really. Sometimes she's not in the same movie as the others. She is absolutely not. But. I love it. I love it even I love more it for, for that. that. Yeah. And it, it really is. 
you know, we, you know, it's it's not fair to say that there weren't witch movies before. Sure. But this was like the first time where uh, I think the witches had been brought into the forefront in a really modern way. Yeah. And kind of like really put in in terms put in terms of. Um, yeah, I, I am an outcast. I'm yes. an outcast in my social circle at school. I'm at an age where I'm I'm trying to figure out who I am and I'm coming into my own and um and that paired with Catholicism yeah. is just it's perfect. And without it there is no charmed. Yeah, it's true. I, I really don't think that show comes into existence if, without if the, with craft. the craft doesn't yeah. exist. I think it's I, th- I think it's wonderful. Go watch the craft. You're gonna have super so, yeah, fun. Yeah, yeah. Get a bunch of your girlfriends together. Light some candles. Candles. Some call the corners. Do yeah, it all. Call the corners. Do it all. So we're gonna go over time, but I don't. That's care. fine. We get split it into two if we have to. We'll decide later. We'll make. Or you ch- can, you can listen to us at at one and a half speed. Speed. Yeah. Which I did today, and it sounds like we're we're on coca. Yeah, it freaks cocaine. it freaks me out. Yeah. Um, our final one. I already sort of mentioned it. What I consider to be the definitive '90s horror movie uh, is Scream. Directed by Wes Craven, written by Kevin Williamson, who wrote for things like Dawson's Creek. Yeah. So it has like the the pedigree of one of the great horror film directors, and then a dude who can write '90s teen dialogue like it's like going out of fucking else. style, like nobody yeah. else. Yeah. And so I, I, it is. I, I know this is weird to say. I think in my mind, and I know people. I actually believe it is a. I believe it is a perfect movie. I think it is a perfect movie as well. I just saw it last night again, and I again, like maybe for the second time this week because I wanted to watch it a few times, and and it is there. There it has. It doesn't have any flaws. Every everybody is doing the Lord's work. Yeah. On screen, and I will tell you, I do think that without without the craft, but especially without Scream, we wouldn't have Riverdale. No, absolutely we, we not. Would, we wouldn't have some of those teen dramas that that that, that, that are on today. On today. And, yeah. and Scream gave birth to its own genre, like right. subgenre. Because from that we got, I know what you did last summer. summer we got Jeepers Creepers. Jeepers Creepers. We got Urban, Urban Legend. Legend Valentine. Um, like, it totally brought back the teen slasher, slasher in a way that was so self-aware. Yes, and Scream does it better than any of those. Mm-hmm. Um in my opinion, by far actually, I think the first Scream, the like the the meta horror of Scream is is it's so good. And the thing that one of the things that I love about what Wes Craven does is that he acknowledges the master who came before him mm-hmm. because the one movie that they continue to reference in Scream is Halloween. Halloween. And, right. and I mean, he, he, and I, Craven and, and Carpenter, I mean, God, Carpenter is like the only one left, which is so weird. I know, it's so strange. They, they were, became really good friends. Right. Um, I mean, Craven so much brilliantly sets an entire scene. They're watching Halloween on mm-hmm. TV and he cuts out his their the score of Scream and has an entire scene set to the score of Halloween. Yeah. Um and it's beautiful because in Halloween Carpenter has them watching 50s horror movies. Right. And so of course in this they're watching 70s horror movies. Right. Uh I just it's so it's so fucking good and it takes the final girl, the idea of the final girl that we sort of get in the 70s, but all of a sudden because it is in the 90s Nev Campbell and even Rose McGowan before she right. goes 
like will fucking kick the killer in the fucking face or punch him or throw him or outrun him. Right. We we no longer have the idea that that the that a girl is super helpless. That is inherently yeah Yeah, weaker or helpless. The killer has to work a little bit more. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um it is, and I know we've probably brought this up, Christy and I, making a movie. Uh, Kickstarter mm-hmm. is edited. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I, I I do not pretend that that, if you were to read my screenplay, Scream is so clearly the most right. influential on it. Right. Um, like if somebody were to say, Michael, this, this screenplay is just, or is so influenced by Scream, obviously, uh, Michael would be like, yeah. Yeah, you're goddamn you, right. You're goddamn right. I'm, uh, I'm glad you got that. Yeah, I am. Um, that's our... If Halloween is the reference that Scream makes, Scream is the reference that we make. I, yeah. I it's so good, and it and it also is, I think, really smart of. Cra- I'm assuming Craven made it all happen because he's Wes Craven. He was Wes Craven. Getting Williamson to write the dialogue mm-hmm. was crucial because I think Craven realized is smart enough to know I can still make a brilliant horror movie and do all the things, but my idea of what a teenager talks like is no longer. And so Williamson sort of had that down. Yeah. Um, I, I I mean I just I love it and it is scary. It's when it's funny. It's really it's fucking really funny. funny. It's ve- it's like it's so clever the way it's written. I think I th- I think it's like some of Courtney Cox's best work. I agree. It um, like redefined the like it redefined what an opening kill is in horror. Oh my god! And even in the opening kill pays homage to one of the great horror yeah. movies uh, ever, which is Psycho. Psycho, yeah. yeah and and the, the fact that it's Drew Barrymore, yes. who at the time was at the height of her Drew yeah. Barrymore-ness. And right? is also, like, a, in, like, the Barrymore line. Like, she, right. So it's it's your sort of, you're putting Hollywood royalty on screen. Right. And, and, and you also have, Nev Campbell is the star. Uh-huh. Again, you have Skeet Ulrich, who has a, even a bigger part in this than he did yeah, in, in the craft. Yeah, Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard, who is brilliant. Oh my god, it. he's so good. Jamie Kennedy, hands down, the best work Jamie oh Kennedy's my god, ever done. He's so good. David Arquette. Yeah. Who's as Dewey? As Dewey, who's fantastic yeah. in it. Um, I yeah. Rose McGowan, who Rose plays McGowan like great. the super hot friend, right? Um, which is you know also like sort of a nice nod to Halloween. Um, I, I it is. One of my favorite movies ever made, and it's like you're you're, you're not expecting it because it like it totally looks something about like eighties and seventies slasher movies is that they have this like grainy 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 uh-huh. look. Scream looks like one of those WB shows. Yeah. It looks like Dawson's Creek. Uh huh. It looks like you know you're you're going to watch Party of Five. Yeah. Right. And purposefully. And purposefully. Yeah. And it's it's really great, and the gore. It doesn't play. No, it no. Does, it doesn't and, play. And the opening scene is, is legitimately s- terrifying. It is terrifying. Um, I mean, if you know it now, sure. But, like, it, it it is it's so fucking... And is already doing all the things. Like, it's... You have to know horror movies to survive. That's the point of, like, that's... The theme of the movie is the more knowledgeable you are about horror movies, the better chance you have to live. To the, and, and not just in this meta movie way, but like the more you know about horror movies, 
the more you are equipped to survive life. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think if you go back to one of my favorite quotes of Wes Craven uh, that I ever heard is that uh, horror movies are – oh, God, I can't even remember. Now I'm going to blow it. Um, boot camp boot camp for the psyche right. is what Craven used to say, that yeah. horror movies are boot camp for the psyche. And this is – this explodes that theme in in, yeah. in in sort of a beautiful way. Yeah, it 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 knows what it's doing. It's doing the thing while it's being the thing. Yeah. while it's talking about, about the, the thing, thing. And, and it does it, it it perfectly. Yeah, perfectly. That, and and so that's it. If you haven't seen the original Scream, it and it is. What are you doing? Oh uh, yeah, go. You you wasted your life. And it is so of its time. Um, yeah, I yeah, mean, I absolutely the, the, love it. The fashions are so kind yeah. of like, oh, my, oh my God, God yeah. so 90s. Yeah, so 90s. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah. It's, Highly recommend Scream. Yep. Um, and if you have seen it, go see it again. Go see it it's, again. It's, it holds it's, up. It's, it holds up. It's really, really, really wonderful. Um, yeah, so that is our, our, our mm. 90s uh, week. I mean, of course, there are so, so many, many other wonderful 90s movies. I do like Jeepers Creepers. I do, too. I do love The Frighteners. Yeah. I love I Know What You Did Last Summer. I love Urban Legend, uh, as, and, as yeah, goofy as it I is. I love Urban you know? Legend, too. And, you know, we haven't even touched upon um, J-Horror didn't really become a thing until late 90s, early, early 2000s. 2000s. But by the time we had, like, the English versions of J-Horror... The Those, actual, yeah. The actual ones had been made. Ringu was out. Ringu was yeah. out. And I really, I debated whether as to whether I wanted to include Ringu in this yeah. as a 90s foreign Maybe we'll do a, like... Maybe we'll do a, a J-horror. Versus their American remakes oh, or whatever. Oh, yeah. that's a good idea. That's a good idea. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jim John Make Noise. Jim John Make Noise. Hey, real Thank quick. Thank you so much. There is, there is merch... There is merch! Yes, yes, yes. I had to go in and fix a few glitches, but there is. If you go to uh, Terra and Taco's Cafe Press, uh, we have a shop, and right now we have two T-shirts available, the ladies' and the men's T-shirt with the American Werewolf graphic Sorry, Drew. You fixed the election. We choose what shirt we make. We choose it. Um, but there's more to come. I, I, I spent a lot of time designing a mug and then decided I didn't like it. So, well, but it's, you know, it will be perfect. It's it's on the way. It's on the way. And, and so go buy your t-shirts and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited. I, I ordered mine. And uh, I, I can't wait to... to so we're going to wear our own faces. We're going to wear our own faces. We don't give a shit. Yeah, man. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> um, talk about meta. Yeah. Um, anyway, I've run out of things to say. Go buy merch. Go look us up on Facebook. Make a comment. Let us know what your favorite 90s uh, horror, horror movies. movies are. Maybe listen to Nirvana tonight. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Well, whatever. Never mind. Um, we'll, bye. Bye. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>